0: Some of you may need to go buy dancing shoes. I don't know. Well, Lord, as we study your word, thank you that you are the teacher and just make plain to us, pierce our heart with the things we need to see today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter two. Revelation, I'm sorry, chapter one. We're still in one. We're going to start at verse number eight. You guys would pull the screen up at the back for me it would be awesome. <clears throat> We're talking today about the one that John saw. Would you repeat it with me, please? The one that John saw. And I'm using New American Standard Version, and I'm going to start reading at verse number eight. Got your Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see. You got your Bibles? Excellent. Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, look at the four things he lists. Your brother, fellow partaker of tribulation, the kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus Christ, I was on the island called Patmos. Everyone say Patmos. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book that you, what you see. Send it to the seven churches and look at the listing. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And he did what anybody would logically do. He turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. Having turned, this is what he saw. Seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, which had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held how many stars? Seven. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its very strength. And verse 17 is our response. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He's placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys, the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write the things which you've seen, the things which are, the things which will take place after these things. And the last verse, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now follow with me as we take notes today. My first question, have you ever had an encounter with the Lord Jesus? Hold your hand up, you've had an encounter. That's far different from going to church. You can have multiple encounters. We should have encounters on a frequent basis because we spend time with him. Now, as we go through the text, and we're going to stay as true to the text as we possibly can we can, verse 8. Our king stated he was the Alpha and the Omega. Repeat it, please. He's the and the Omega. What in the world is that, Pastor? Well, it's the first. And the very last letters of the Greek alphabet. Well, why is that such a big deal? Well, how many letters are in the English alphabet? And somebody said 26. Very good. How many letters are in the Greek alphabet? And somebody said 24. 24. And he said this on the beginning. On the ending of everything. That's what Alpha and Omega means. A to Z. In all things. In all things. That means he has the first word. That means he has the very last word. If you're smart and let him have the first word. And let him have the last word. And every word in between. In every single word. Situation. That's the goal. He's the alpha, and he is the omega. And I've thought about this this week. Well, when you think of alphabets, you just think of our own English alphabet. There's possibly an infinite number of words that can be formed just from our twenty-six letters of our alphabet. So that leads me to believe. That he's in every word. He's embedded in every single word. He's in every conversation. He is in every sentence of every single book. It is fascinating. Even people, when they use bad language, said blasphemous things, horrible things, demeaning things, condemning things, critical things, complaining things. Even when people have said those things, they do not realize they are using the letters of his name. Since he's the Alpha and the Omega. So I just suggest maybe we should make sure what comes out of our mouth is praise encouragement, and lifting people, and blessing people, and prayer. Someone say, amen. Our words are powerful. Our words have life. And then John said this about himself. I love it. He said, I'm your brother. Sometimes people feel like they have to have titles, and they throw their weight around because of titles. Uh, Titles can come and go. But I'm just your brother. He's not the apostle. He's not the one Jesus loved. He's not the one that everybody should listen to. He just said, I'm your brother. And I've been through tribulation. And I understand the tribulation. And I'm here with you. And I'm not quitting. I'm a fellow partaker. Then he said, I'm in the kingdom. And The kingdom is what's important. And I'm privileged to be in the kingdom. And then he also said the fourth thing is the word perseverance. Say perseverance, please. He's committed to it, which means I'm not quitting. Other people may. Not me. I'm not quitting. And I'm going to trust the Lord to give me the grace to finish faithfully until the day the Lord calls me home. And then he, he just kind of clenches it all together. He said, all this is in Jesus Christ." Point number three. We read this. He's exiled to an island called Patmos. It is on my bucket list. I hope to go there sometime. It was actually a Roman penal colony. Think of Devil's Island. It's a penal colony. It was also a mining colony. Lead, copper, salt. And so the Roman Empire never wastes anything. So you have people you want to get rid of, send them to an out-of-the-way place and let them work until they drop, until they die. This is where John has been sentenced to. Now here's a map. You see Patmos on the map. You see Ephesus. Ephesus is about 60 miles away. This is what the island looks like. It's actually three islands kind of squished together. It is seven miles long by six miles wide at its widest. And today there's about 3,000 people living on the island of Patmos. Now, I'm gonna guess the number one occupation for this island is tourism, do you see the cruise boat in the harbor? That's your pastor one day. (laughs) Eating too much food and paying money to take me places, called tourism. You know, it's kind of odd though, isn't it? You know, a place where there's bones everywhere and penal colony and now it's a tourist trap, kind of like Gatlinburg, amazing. So the question is, why is John here? And he answers it. And it's right in the text. And it's very important. Because of his commitment to the word of God. And because of his commitment to the testimony of Jesus. I'm not into emperor worship, he says. They can kill me. They can drown me. They can stone me. They can exile me. But I'm not bowing the knee. I'm not saying Caesar is lord i'm not going there and and brethren this is a battleground for our nation for the body of christ in the next 2 years 5 years the next 10 years commitment to the word of god commitment to the testimony of jesus our country has gone so far down it seems like Every quarter we go further down and the unimaginable things are happening and people think it's normal and elected officials are pushing things. The word of God is not treasured. It's not read. It's not taught. It's not studied. That's why your pastor pushes you to read the scriptures for yourself. And I believe mature Christians, it's a good habit to read the scripture through every single year for the rest of your life. You need to study yourself. And the other issue is Christians are not sharing the gospel. 95% of American Christians have never led anybody to Jesus. They'll spend their entire life And never share the gospel, never lead anybody to Jesus. This is why our culture is in free fall. We can make a difference. You can make a difference. Now, here's a really tough question. If our government started arresting people, would there be enough evidence to convict you You say, did John die on Patmos? Apparently not. The very next emperor, his name is Nerva, released him and let him go back to Ephesus somewhere about 97, 98 AD. This is a statue of that man. You say, why did he do it? Apparently, the fear of God came over him. Now this is what they call there, John's cave. What is John's cave? John's cave is apparently where this all played out. John says in verse number 10, I was in the spirit, say, I was in the spirit. What does that mean, I was in the spirit? It meant that John had a place, he met God. Do you have a place? It also means he had a time that he would meet the Lord. It also means he had a purpose to seek God. And John had been at this a long time. He's probably 90 years of age at the time. Now, the the promise is this. If you seek him, you will find him. And what we read about today is where the Lord Jesus showed up in that cave and gave us what you have on your lap. The scripture also says he was worshiping on the Lord's Day. Someone say Lord's Day with me, please. And the Lord's Day is Sunday. And this is a picture of the garden tomb in Jerusalem. And apparently, the body of Christ gave great significance to Sunday. Sunday. The first day of the week, the day the Lord was resurrected as a primary day of worship. And the scripture says he heard something. He heard a person behind him. And when it says, I heard a voice, that tells me this is not a vision. This is not something he dreamed. This is a real experience. He heard a loud voice telling him this. I want you to write in a book. Well, there weren't books like what we have today. It's a scroll. It's a piece of leather. Write down what I'm about to show you. And then I want you to send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So John did what you and I would have done. He turned around to see who was speaking to him. When you do that? He turned around to see who was speaking to him and this is what he saw. The text says he saw seven golden lampstands. Then he saw, in his words, someone like a son of man Everyone say son of man? A son of man standing in the middle of the lamps. Let's talk about this term son of man and let me explain it a little bit. The very first man and the very first woman turned over the keys to this planet to Satan in the Garden of Eden. Real people. So the father's plan was to redeem mankind. But he he needed a man, since a man gave it away, a man needed to take it back. Who was the man? He is the infinite, everyone say infinite, the infinite God-man, Jesus Christ. What do you mean infinite God-man? When he came, he wasn't 50% God. He wasn't 50% man. He was 100% God while he was here. But at the same time, he was 100% man. He was hungry. He got tired. His feet hurt when he walked. He was faced with temptation. He's an infinite God man. So the title does two things. It highlights his humanity. He cried. He got angry. He was frustrated, but doesn't deny his deity. This is a favorite title that Jesus used for himself throughout the Gospels. Sixty-nine times Jesus refers to himself, but well, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And you may want to write this in your margin, the Son of Man Is actually a messianic title. Are you following me? Hello, are you following? Okay. Now, the book of Daniel tells us more about this. He tells us that the Son of Man is the one who will destroy the empire of the Antichrist, which is coming up in the future. That statue in Daniel chapter, the statue of Daniel chapter two of the empires that affected Israel. And the last one is to come, the empire of the Antichrist with the 10 nations, the 10 toes. And the scripture says, a huge boulder cut without human hands came out of the mountains and crashed and destroyed this statue. And will rule all the nations of the earth. Now, skipping over to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel wrote this. He saw into heaven, and he saw one like a Son of Man approaching the throne, the Ancient of Days, who is the Father. And to him, the Son of Man was giving, given dominion over all people, all nations all languages that they all might serve him. I don't know about you, this is a comfort. This whole passage comforts me. The fact that the son of man, Jesus, walked among the candlesticks, walked among the churches. He's not on the outside, he's in the midst of our life, whether you realize it or not, he's there. He's as close as your breath, and he cares about this city, and he cares about the churches in this city. John also saw that he was clothed in a majestic robe that went to his feet, which is the robe of a high priest, telling us that Jesus is both our mediator and the eternal high priest. We find in 1 Peter chapter 3, in the book of Hebrews, Repeat this verse with me from 1 Timothy chapter 2, please. There is one between God and, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator, one priest. We couldn't get to God because of our sin. He came as a bridge. He came as a bridge builder to take us to the Father. Now, girded across his chest... Is a golden sash. It doesn't tell us much about it. But what does this signify? Well, to me, it shows his rank. To me, it shows his honor in heaven. As you will see, one of our major generals from the past, you see George Patton, you see how many stars does he have on his shoulder? How many? He's got four. Look at all the ribbons he's got. So, this sash shows the rank and honor of our Savior in heaven. His head and his hair are white like wool and the most pristine snow. This illustrates both his sinlessness and his holiness, plus, the ageless wisdom that our master has. He knows everything about everything. Now this is very important. John uses a four letter word, like, and he uses it nine times in this short passage. Why does he use like so much? Because he's trying to describe what is impossible to describe. He's reaching, he's struggling, trying to put into words what his eyes are seeing. For instance, the Great Wall. The Great Wall of China, I've walked on part of it. The Great Wall of China is not 1,300 miles long, It is 13,000 miles long. Go across America about three or four times. You can't describe it. No photograph does it justice. It is amazing. You see the great pyramids of Egypt right outside of Cairo. It's hard to believe. Mary and Joseph carried their baby, Jesus, past them. They were already there. Or this one, what is this one? Mount Everest. To try to describe the Himalayas. It is just amazing. So the point is, if I have a hard time describing things here, how can John explain the eternal? It's, it's almost impossible. That's why he uses the word like. It's like this. It's like that. Point F, his eyes are blaze like a flame of fire, which tells me his gaze is penetrating. He observes everything and evaluates everything. He misses nothing. Also, it shows me the fiery passion for his people. Don't ever let the devil or anybody tell you, God doesn't love you. He is crazy about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Now, looking at Exodus chapter 34... Moses was told to write this down and say this to God's people. One of God's names is simply jealous. Our God does not want you chasing anything else in this world except him. Because he is a jealous God. Jealousy means he doesn't want anything between you and him. Because he knows it will destroy you. His feet were like burnished bronze glowing from the forge. When I was a little fella, we we had Tennessee walking horses and my father would send my brother and I leading his horses two, three, four miles to an elderly African-American man named Joe Thompson. I love Joe Thompson. He was big, kind, sweet, and he was a master blacksmith. You just... You don't see him like that today. And as a little boy, I would stand and watch him in the forge take steel, heat it up, bend it to the precise dimensions, punch holes in it, shape it, and do it all while it was red hot. It was burnished steel. Well, Pastor Steve, what does bronze mean? Silver has some symbolic meaning. Gold has meaning. And bronze meaning in scripture is judgment. Everyone say judgment. When God's people murmured and complained, God had enough. And he sent serpents, fiery serpents, to go and bite these complainers. And they cried out to the Lord and asked for mercy and said they were sorry. And the Lord said to Moses, fashion a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. And whoever will look on it will be healed from the poison. That's the symbol of medicine today. And then in Solomon's temple, where they burned the sacrifices, it was called the Brazen or bronze altar. What's that about, Steve? What's about this? The Lord is communicating. I'm willing to take your sin. I'm willing to take your failures, your past. I'm willing to pardon you. If you will just come, will you please, please, please come? So our choices are come and let him take our judgment. Or... The fact that John sees bronze glowing feet is Jesus, when he returns, will trample on all of his enemies under his feet and he will stop all rebellion to his leadership. And you can count on that. Then he said, his voice was thunderous like many waters. If you've been to Niagara Falls, it's a beautiful place. You get into this little boat and you go up to the falls. It is loud, you can not hardly hear yourself talking. The decibel at Niagara Falls is equal to the decibel of a mail line that comes up behind you and roars. I was in a restaurant not to be named this week and I'm paying my bill and the friend of a bill, a friend of a, a bill of a guy that ate with me and a waitress decided to drop an entire tray of about 10 plates and cups and saucers and glasses right at my feet behind me. And I almost jumped over the counter. It wasn't the Lord, but it was biscuits, jelly, and orange juice. In his right hand, there are seven stars. How many? Seven stars in his right hand. And out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. It's, it's kind of hard for me to get that in my head. How does that weapon come out of our Savior's mouth, to me it means His power is released by His words—the power of His words. He said, "Let there be light." Boom! There was light. Let there be stars. Boom! There was stars. In Matthew chapter five, the leper came up to Him and said, "I know you can if you're willing." And Jesus said, "I'm willing." Be cleansed. Boom! He spoke to the demonic majesties and said, out. And they left with a word. And then his face was shining with the glory of heaven, which is called Shekinah glory. A lot of examples in scripture about the glory of God where Moses encountered this bush that was not consumed by the fire, because it wasn't fire, it was the glory of God. And the Israelites that were led by a cloud by day and the Shekinah glory at night, and Saul of Tarsus being knocked to his back by this blinding light, it wasn't a blinding light, it was a presence of Jesus. And John said his face was like the sun at its greatest strength. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? I did it as a kid one time. One time wasn't it? John did what we should do. He fell on his face toward the feet of Jesus in complete humility the time will come when all of us in this room will take our last breath, and our heartbeat will beat for the last time, and we will find ourselves in the realm of Jesus. What's going to be your response? You know what mine is. I'm going to the ground, saying thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't deserve. Any of this. And that was John's response. Today in our culture, I think we have a dangerous absence of the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom, which means we don't reverence Him, we don't tremble at His word, we do not walk in humility before Him and others, and we worship and we think it's about songs or standing or sitting. It's not. It's not. And because of where our nation is and what's going on with the body of Christ, I think we're probably in trouble. Jesus said, "Uh, the Father looks for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, This is a figure I saw from Canada this week that the National Registry, that. All buildings are registered with is estimated that in the coming years, 9,000 Canadian churches will close. 9,000, which is about one third of all churches that meet in buildings in Canada. Now, this is a Catholic church. And with this picture came an article that said they've decided the diocese around Montreal to close 30 of 54 Catholic churches in the coming years. Why? I guess they think there's no more lost people or Jesus doesn't need to be worshiped or people can't be loved and helped. It's very sad. Now, there's a young man named Evan Roberts is with the Lord, but he's a man that saw God's face much like John. There's a picture of him. And in Wales, for years, he prayed this simple prayer. Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. I humble myself before you. I want to give you honor and praise and glory. I have no agenda except yours. And he prayed that for years. And one day, the Father answered that prayer, and the Welch revival broke out where thousands of lives were changed. Lord, bend me. Make me tender-hearted, Lord. And our Savior did kind of what's kind of unexpected. He bent down and he touched this 90-year-old man, John, and whispered to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, John. I would have been afraid, John was afraid. Don't be afraid, John, I've got this. You're good because I'm on the throne. And he said, let me tell you some other things. I am the first, everyone say first. And I am the last, everyone say last. I'm the first and the last, which means I'm sovereign over everything. I am the living one. I was once dead, and I am alive forever. Just like he said to Thomas in the upper room on a Sunday night, eight days after the resurrection, he said, Thomas, come here. Put your hand where the wound is, feel. Put your finger where the wounds are in my wrist, then he said something that's amazing. I have the keys of death and Hades. That's my observation, whoever has the keys to a company, to a building, to a house, whoever has the keys has the authority, is that true? You got the keys, you have the authority. He's got the keys. So, what does that mean? Well, who has the authority over life and death? The person that has the keys has authority over life and death. A surgeon doesn't, a surgeon may help you may hurt you, but they don't have the keys of life and death. Somebody that would break in your house to harm you and your family, they don't have the keys. A pandemic, an illness, or cancer, they don't have the keys. Or a terrorist organization, or car wreck, they do not have the keys. Help me out. Who has the keys? And remember, we have a lot of fear in our culture. True? We do. This has been a hard year for a lot of people. We've lost people that we love, but who has the keys? Jesus has complete authority. And we can rest in that. That kind of means you're invulnerable as long as you walk with Jesus and obey him till the day he wants you. Therefore, Everyone say, therefore. What do you mean, therefore? When you see a therefore in the scripture, everything above it determines what's under the therefore. Look what it's there for. So Jesus said, therefore, John, your assignment is to write down three things. Everything that you saw, All the things that have already been there, that were. And all the things that I will show you that will follow these things. Write them all down. So I'm going to ask the worship team, would you guys get ready? And I'm going to ask one of our brethren to come out and play for us at this time. So, John clinches this and sets it up for chapter 2. How does he do it? He says the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches we'll talk about. Likewise, the seven stars that Jesus gently, tenderly, firmly holds in his right hand are the angels. That's what your Bible says, the angels of the seven churches. Now that word, angelos, has a deeper meaning. Can I share it with you? What's the meaning, Steve? The word angelos in the Greek means messenger. What's a messenger? That's somebody that delivers a message. That can be a physical angel, a super being. It can be a human leader, or it can be a pastor of a local church. So, Do I have any messengers in the room that have a call? Hold your hand up. Are you a messenger? I'm a messenger. If you know Jesus, you are a messenger. So Robin, if you could play for us. I'm gonna open the altar today. Let me pray. Then I want you to respond to whatever the Lord would say. Lord Jesus, the seriousness of this text puts the fear of God in us. Lord, we want to be committed to the word of God and committed to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today in this room, we release by word the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in this room. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Touch hearts today in power. In Jesus' name, we bind the bonds of Satan over people. We bind discouragement and depression. We bind sickness in the name of Jesus. We bind fear and unbelief right now. And today we release tenderness of heart and obedience to you. Lord, whatever you would say to us as you're calling us to be your servants, your messengers, we release our plans to you and say, bend us, Lord. Bend us, Lord. Bring revival today. In Jesus' name. As they pull the lights down a little bit, I want to say the altar is open for you to do business with the Lord, for you to come and get on your face before him. There'll be people that'll pray with you on both sides of the room. But I want you to come right now as the Lord gives you grace to humble yourself, to fall on your face, to release whatever's been holding you back and let him give you grace. Come to the altar come to a place where you offer him all today. touch today, Lord. We ask for your touch. Your fiery gaze, Lord. Your passion. Lord, I pray for godly sorrow today. Godly sorrow today over our sins. Come, Lord. Walk among your people. Walk among your lampstands. Today, Lord. Today. Right now. For anyone in this room that's never given their heart to Christ and you guys watching online, right where you sit, say to him, Lord Jesus I need you come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord I give you my life give me a home in heaven and I promise to serve you as you give me strength work among your people Lord today Release your power, Lord, today. Today, Lord. Since you're the first and you're the last, Lord Jesus, speak to everyone in the room about what's important to you, to them. May they take note, Lord. asked of the Lord in this one thing I seek and that's to see his beauty, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord in the tabernacle he said I hear the Lord say to me seek my face and Lord your face I will seek so we say to you Lord this morning your face we will seek let's continue to use this time to just be with the Lord to seek his face
1: Show me your glory.
0: As we close in prayer, I think the Lord would tell us, if you make space for him, he will show up in your life. If you make room, he will come. Lord, we just thank you for the words that John wrote down. that will stay with us for a long time. And Father, keep speaking because we will keep saying yes. Bend us, Lord. Bend us low so you can receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Pick up your kids. There's people that will pray with you on both sides.
1: for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.